0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You're listening to the Wild Seven Podcast Network. Listen different.
1: So, like, even though we're in the middle of this global pandemic where nobody knows where their next paycheck is coming from and families are being torn apart and there's been, like, people dying, I've never been more aware of how amazing I am.
0: I know exactly what you mean. Ever since COVID, I've just been winning, winning, winning.
1: Hashtag.
0: I'm teaching a Zoom class on how to appear more blessed and grateful when taking a selfie.
1: Oh, I'm teaching a Zoom class too. It's called Measuring the Emotional Content of the Wind.
0: I've started playing the triangle. You know, the instrument. My friends say I should make an album.
1: I've been learning Spanish. ¿Dónde está la biblioteca?
0: Buena pronunciación.
1: Gracias.
0: I've been shaming my peers into being more culturally sensitive.
1: What about you, Susan?
0: Yes, Susan, you've been awful quiet. Uh... I... uh, um...
1: Can't find the words? There's an app for that. Next time you feel like you have nothing to contribute to the social circle, just log into... No, 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 no. Stop, 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 stop. Look, hey, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt here. My name is Alex Rogers. Y'all may have listened to my show in the words of Alex Rogers. No? Well, listen, Susan, you're fine. You guys are the fucking problem.
0: Oh my god. Now wait
1: a minute. Yeah, I'm serious. You two are the worst friends Susan could ever have. How can you possibly believe you're even interesting? Do you realize that you are completely insignificant? Everything you just talked about means nothing. He is
0: so what negative. An asshole.
1: Susan, you're just fine. You're doing great. In fact, Susan, you're quite lovely. What are you doing after the commercial?
0: Uh, I, uh, um...
1: Can't find the words? There's an app for that. Next time you feel like you have nothing to contribute to the social circle, just log into Better Help Yourself. Because let's face it, Nobody else is going to help you for you. In the woods of Alex Rogers Episode 14 Lovelier Letter to Lynch Oh, it, it, is that me? It, my turn to go on? Should I say something? I, I don't know what to do in this moment. It's just so much pressure. I've, I've never been on the television. <laughs> uh, oh, this is more like radio. Oh, oh, this is a. Oh, this is a
0: podcast.
1: Oh, I did. <laughs> you kids and your advancements. <laughs> What's happening, everybody? Welcome back. This is Alex Rogers, recording and reporting from a timeless zone in which your listening is the now. Is it future or is it past? And just like last episode, we begin this one with yet another Twin Peaks quote. Yes, my friends, well, and just like last week, I'm at a loss for words uh, pertaining to my own mess of a life. There'll be plenty of things to wax philosophical and scream hysterical uh, in future podcasts to come. In the meantime, let's continue down this Lynchian road, uh, because, you know, what I thought was maybe a, kind of just like a pointless rode down something that maybe only I was interested in. Uh, Some of you gave me some very uh, nice feedback on the last one. Uh, I piqued some of your interest to watch some Lynch for the first time, and some of you all said, man, I'm reminded by that one scene in Lost Highway. I, I need to go back and watch that. And so I'm glad I could stir up some of the dreams and nightmares. And Tonight, we're going to keep that pot stirring, just give it a nice little swirl of that. And uh, we don't necessarily mean pot itself. I will not be smoking during this program, Uh, but that is not to say that perhaps prior to this program, Madame Marijuanas and I did a little dance, and that dance was the co-mutual twerk. I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but I imagine a very supportive butt to butt movement. And Lord bless that image, I say. Well, here we are again, my friends, and I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the David Lynch experiences that I have had, and hope to once again uh, peak those dreams and nightmares. And that's peak as in. P-I-Q-U-E, not P E A K or P-A-Q-I. Qui? Qui est qui? Qui est? Quel problème? Ce n'est pas un problème pour moi. Qui est en mot? Mais je parle anglais, pas de français. Très bien? Très bien. Whew. All right, I'm back. Wow. Sometimes we just get a little... Ai- 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 and now we're back. Um, yes. uh Peak. P-I-Q-U-E-D, not P-E-A-K, you just did it again. You just did it again. Are you going to go through the whole French routine? No, 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 The French routine has been done before. Vive la France, vive la revolution. You know what I'm trying to get at, and if you don't, I'm not going to give it a third try. Before we dive into the Lynchian stream, I want to give a word on the nature of weird. I've noticed something throughout my cinematic experience. By yourself, you can often get a pretty honest experience watching a movie when it's just you and the screen and maybe the coziness of the space that you are in. Uh, Especially when it's, for lack of better words, a weird kind of movie, Uh, something Uh, Or even maybe emotionally vulnerable, explorative, uh, something that is just not of the kind of normal, keep it going, we don't have time to feel things, and wow, big spectacle, spectacle, end of movie. Although nowadays it's spectacle, spectacle, hour and a half. More spectacle, more spectacle, two and a half. Spectacle, spectacle, your testicles hurt because it's three and a half hours and you can't go to the bathroom because the movie's still going, still going. Spectacle, spectacle, four hours franchise. I've been in situations where there'll be a, a group of us, four, five, six, what have you and a movie will come on, perhaps we all agree to watch something. Uh, In my experience, even though this isn't going to be about Terry Gilliam films, I'm just going to talk about The Fisher King just for a moment here. Now, that has a film with two actors that, in a lot of other movies, are a hell of a lot of fun. Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges. Robin Williams, who doesn't love all of his comedic roles. Jeff Bridges, come on, the big Lebowski, fucking A. Well, The Fisher King is a strange film, you know, like Lynchian, in the sense that it doesn't walk one genre clearly. There are funny moments, and there are brutally awful moments, similar to Lynch. Well, I just remember... (laughs) At the time, the group kind of thinking they were in for a funny Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges package. And they didn't understand that we were going to go into the nightmare corners of consciousness where desperation and mortality are going to rear their ugly heads as we also discover and rediscover the levity and the light and the funny that is happening. But no, ten minutes into the movie, it all takes is one person in the room to go, "This is weird," <sighs> and then everyone else follows suit. Oh yeah, yeah I, I I guess it is kind of weird, and I, I and I can't want I, I don't want to say anything contrary because you know we're all supposed to enjoy something as a group here, and it might get kind of weird, and so I'm gonna go, yeah, it's kind of weird, yeah, yeah it's kind of weird, yeah, this is strange, yeah, it's weird, I don't get it, and then channel is changed and or you know next dvd is loaded in keep going alex we don't change channels anymore and we don't load dvds anymore we what we uh switch streams we um we go to a new website we blink our eyes and then our retinas display a brand new interface calm down boy we're not that far in the future at least not here But when you delve and dive into the weird, I wish groups of people had more bravery to do it. You know, I know I say a lot of things that, especially even as I'm saying them, I think, gosh, maybe people can't relate to this. Maybe I just have my own little sort of nuanced on the spectrum issues. Uh, (laughs) But with the the rest of y'all, surely you've been in those moments Where, you know, there's a chance for something to be kind of unusual. Maybe even something kind of strange or sacred. Something that makes strange and sacred almost indivisible in their meaning. But then someone has to go, meh, weird. And then it all dissembles. Well, I'm here to champion the weird. And it may be that sometimes to foster your own bravery in the weird, you got to go into it by yourself a few times. And when you go into David Lynch films by yourself, I think sometimes you are given the best experience. But that said, when I first really appreciated the title that I'm about to get into, I was able to see it at a big screening where clearly David Lynch fans gathered to be in shock, to be in awe, to be in starstruck romance, and also to laugh their asses off while cringing with the brutality of the evil of the world that they love jumping into. And that is Wild at Heart. This one came out in 1990. And I'm always intrigued by films that kind of make, you know, a a bit of a mark in the grand scheme of the pantheon of cinema. That are nevertheless, of course, based on a novel. Novel. I've been doing a lot of uh, readings of original novel sources, something to discuss in a future episode. Uh, But I've never actually read the source material to Wild at Heart. But David Lynch fell in love with it. And as I understand it, the writer... Well, not as I understand it. You can look it up yourself. The writer himself teamed up with David Lynch for the uh, two movies later the one that I started with, one of the dearest to my heart, Lost Highway. His name is Barry Gifford. He wrote the source material, and uh, Wild at Heart is a beautiful tale. Oh, I think, before I go on to that, the point I was going to make, I've never read the source material. I don't know to what degree, when you read it, it sort of speaks Lynch, per se, but Lynch, apparently, and even according to the author, did hit all the beats of the book, and his additions that are completely Lynchian, from characters that don't exist in the novel to directions in the narrative. Uh, Apparently, the screenwriter was rather impressed and also felt no threat to his own novel. And I think that that is admirable when you are a source creator. Reading novels recently, I've been having this realization that if you're talking about source material, you're talking about what usually springs from just one mind. One head came up with a universe. Now, one head isn't enough to make a movie happen. That's where you get a bunch of heads. But the source, the kernel, the seed, it all came from one head. So, it's kind of interesting how that one head could also get a little big-headed and you can say, this is a mockery of my work. And understandably so. If they suck at doing your life's work, at, or or even, forget it, your life work, just, you know, a dear piece of your oeuvre that is, is, you know, something that you care about and you feel like Hollywood or whoever filmmaking crew did it, they fucked it up. That sucks. But not only do I, I, I don't believe the screenwriter think it, it sucks, clearly it didn't suck, and I know the movie did critically pretty well, but also if you go on to co-write a script later on with Lynch, you know, there's got to be some kind of agreement going on, but I, as I understand it, the screenwriter, or excuse me, the author of Wild at Heart said, yeah, totally, it, it doesn't follow my novel, and I don't care at all, because the novel is the novel, I know what I wrote, I'm proud of what I wrote. That has integrity. It is the story, and there you go. What if you make a movie? All right, I I just I admire that man. Just imagine that you have that flexibility. You have enough love for the literary child you made. The paint the painted child you made. The the uh, act. You know what else is a what else is a source material? I don't know. Let's let's say just you know your dream. And then when other people get their hands on the dream, even if they configure it a different way, hey man, it's still your dream. You're the one who made it. And it's the first dream that we recognize. That's what source material is, baby. So anyway, after that that little ramble right there. Wild at heart, man, you know, again, I don't want to go into like plot points and tell you sort of overall story structures of these films because also I feel I I can't speak for David Lynch but I feel like if I met him he 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 wouldn't want me to do that actually if I feel like I met him I wouldn't know what he'd say to me there you go Alex keep on talking what you have is a podcast and what you can do is use your words to contact People of all walks of life. Okay, kiddo, now don't fuck it up. There's something, I don't know, I can't, I, I hope, I hope he would say that. Or he would just be like, who the fuck are you? Give me my coffee and another cigarette. You never know. But he is one of my favorites. We know, Alex, you, you, you've now, you, now, we're already an episode and a half into this guy, and, you know, <laughs> crush in love much? If you love him so much, why don't you marry him? I now pronounce you David Lynch and Alex Rogers. Well, I do! I I do, too. And then you hear some scary, but angelic, Angelo Badalamente score over it. There you go. The Marriage of Creators. Uh, is that... Is that blasphemous to think that I could be the bride of David Lynch? (laughs) No, but it's goddamn strange. And that would fit in perfectly with David Lynch's world. Because come on now, strange. We celebrate that here, baby. In the world of Wild at Heart, we follow a pair of lovers. Really well played by Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. And, man, I, I I love their love on the screen. They, I think, are one of the best examples of how couples can rock it. Now, I haven't been in a relationship in a minute, and some of you are thinking, yeah, we know. But I have had blessed periods in my life where I did have a partner in crime. Where I had an adventurer, hip to hip with me, a lady who spoke my heart and I hers, and we took on the world together. And this is a trope that we've seen in movies that I feel like have an even bigger impact on the public, like natural-born killers, true romance, and I'm not saying, you know, that anyone took anything from anyone. I think, you know, the Bonnie and Clyde or the kind of just, you know, the two of us versus the world mentality, that goes back to even like Romeo and Juliet and probably before. But what's so fun about Wild at Heart and what I like about it is it is technically a romantic film. But you know what annoys me about films that are classified and advertised and marketed as romantic films usually you know the hybrid that makes me want to gag you know what scares me not horror you know what you know what gives me trauma is rom-com Ugh. yeah that that's trigger warnings for me you know I have to see my therapist after I see rom-coms and uh What I find to be sometimes insulting is that the whole world within rom-coms, everyone's kind of goofy and in on this sort of idea that like, oh, well, you know, I can recognize that the two of you were in love, and after all, there's nothing more important than love. Love is just great. (laughs) One day it'll happen for me too. (laughs) You know, it just, it just, or, you know, just, there's kind of a harmlessness, even like the asshole boss that someone has to deal with in a rom-com is just kind of like, oh, I'll get you. You know, or I don't know, maybe I haven't seen enough. If there's one that I'm missing where, like, they're in a rough fucking world, well, I dare say, fine, but put it in comparison to Wild at Heart. The world of Wild at Heart does not want them to be in love with each other. The world of Wild at Heart is hostile, and it starts with Laura Dern's character's mother, who I believe in real life is Laura Dern's actual mother, Diane Ladd, with two Ds, and I do hope I got the name right there. Oh my god, she's amazing. She's this southern belle who's also a wicked witch. Oh yeah, baby. And by the way, they reference, the characters talk about elements of the Wizard of Oz, like the yellow brick road, going to see the wizard uh talk even referring to a dog as Toto at one point that a character mentions it seems like the characters in Wild at Heart even though it takes place presumably in a in a United States similar to our own because it has cities we recognize with names that are similar but there's so much reference to uh Wizard of Oz, and without spoiling too much, but suggesting there might even be a little bit of evidence and actual environmental things going on that are Wizard of Oz, yeah, there does seem to be this feeling that this is a part of an America, which, as we know, that is Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz is a, a warped Kansas. Well, this is a warped road travel America that is off the Yellow Brook Road. And yet the love between Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern is just chef's kiss fantastic. It's funny. It's beautiful. It's hot. It is so sexually healthy they talk to each other, they compliment each other. There's so much like, thank you, and I hear you, and oh, I'm sorry, baby, that must have been terrible. Like when they listen to each other's stories. There, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's a moment where they're holding each other either before or after sex. It doesn't matter because there's so much going on in that between them that yeehaw, God bless them. They're holding each other close in the sheets. And Laura Dern says something like something very poetic about what Nicolas Cage's character does for her. Just like like you're per you know, that you do this, you 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 light my fire this way, you fill me with joy this way. And Nicolas Cage says, you're perfect for me too. And just what better, what more positive in this world than people who are in love with each other and they're like giving praise to one another at the same moment i love that you are this this and this yeah oh thank you you know i love that you're this this and this oh no way beautiful now it's also real disgusting at parts too you got to be ready for lots of vomit Lots of blood, lots of (laughs) incredible ultraviolence. And, uh, And also just kind of like a gross feeling that everything in this movie is coming up out of the toilets and sewers and ditches of dusty, moldy, shitty America. And I say bravo to the whole thing. Um, I didn't understand it at first. I mean, hey, listen, you ain't going to understand any of them if we're going to take understand, quote-unquote, for, for that. But I've come to really appreciate that, you know what, you should find, the, the names of the lovers in the movie are Sailor and Lula. And I'd say find your Sailor out there and find your Lula out there. Because that love is just fantastic. Now moving on to another chapter of Lynch's creative output. And it happened at the same time as the release of this movie, 1990. That's a very important year in the body of work. And it's funny, when you say the word body of work, when it comes to Lynch, you can't help but see like a lot of blood and flies buzzing around it and strange atmospheric sounds but also the sort of pinkish glow and some feeling of like there's hope around the corner it just <laughs> so in this great body we have a dead body the body of a girl a girl named Laura Palmer <gasps> she was the homecoming queen everybody Loved her. And I mean everybody. They fell in love with her. The boys at school loved her. Men. Who should know better. Grown men. They loved her too. The girls loved her. The town loved her. And she's dead. Wrapped in plastic. That is pretty much the line right there that kicks off the series of what I was describing there of the girl who died, Laura Palmer. And she died in a town, which is the name of the show, by the way, Twin Peaks. Now, what's crazy about Twin Peaks, and I'm going to try to, boy, I'm going to try to make this as sort of, fast train tour as possible, because again, everything I'm talking about, you can do the old Wikipedia, the IMDb, you can do the Ask Your Neighbor even, you can talk to someone and say, hey, you remember that show Twin Peaks? Why, I do. Every night I'd watch that program. Weirdest shit I ever saw in my life. And yet, it connected with me and those who watched it too. And that's kind of the general consensus, because David Lynch now goes to television. He's already done quite a good handful of noteworthy movies, and now he goes to television, writing with Mark Frost, who's known for cop dramas. Now, what you get here is a guy who knows how to structure police procedural drama, investigative shit, Uh, time of murder, time of coroner's report, these kinds of details that you need to have in a murder mystery, in a town that needs to be investigated. And you have David Lynch, who is creating the characters with this guy, presumably, I don't really know who made who, but we'll just assume that the, the overall weirdness and the sheer dream audacity that is all over Twin Peaks... It's got to be David Lynch. And it's kind of amazing that this show existed in the first place. And in short, the feel of the show was spoofing what was very popular at the time, which were nighttime soap operas, things like Dallas and Dynasty, and knots Landing, and I, if there's more titles, I can't remember, and I don't think, and all I remember <laughs> as a kid, because, you know, when you're a kid, at least in the 90s, I'm sure nowadays too, but, you know, TV, they have all these old shows in syndication, so I would catch some of these shows and be like, what's all these boring, done-up, lacquered people talking about nothing? Well, it's these soap operas which were very popular and hell i'd probably get into them today hell i hear dallas is pretty uh, interesting uh, the old one well anyway um twin peaks is making fun of that while also using it as a great model because let's not forget this is very common for david lynch larger than life people aren't doing a lot of i mean there is, there is some subtlety there's also a lot of over the top Crazy emotional, uh, because also that's what dream world often does, it's not often there in just little, you know, hi, mumble, mumble, smoke, drink coffee, mumble, mumble. That does happen, but what's great about Twin Peaks is that we're given a town that has, and I'm quoting from others who I've heard talk about this, but one person said it has too many characters that a show has any business having, and yet they all have their individual blend. They all are so perfectly distinct, and you kind of get into all of them. And one of the lead characters is our man Kyle MacLachlan, who's already been in several of uh, Lynch's productions, not the least of which Blue Velvet, which we covered in the last episode. He is Special Agent Dale Cooper, who's on the scene, and he is so... I think truly one of the best TV protagonists we've ever had, and he is almost unbelievable because he is just like, what I love about the FBI and the world of Twin Peaks is that they are chivalrous knights who... You know, he even understands, I'm, I'm sorry, This I know I'm an imposition, and I know that there's a town where you have local customs. At the same time, I am the FBI, so I supersede your customs. But I don't want to presume that I'm uh, trampling over anyone's uh, traditions or sensibilities. You know, like, he's just a good dude, an upstanding guy. And man, there's just not enough time to get into the whole thing, except here's the deal they never meant to solve who killed Laura Palmer. And everyone is so weird in their own wonderful way in town that, quite frankly, it could have been any of them, all of them, none of them. They did eventually answer that question. I'm not going to say how it was done. But... As I understand it, at this point, the show was starting to lose its thread, and it was coming off the train track, and it was already a wickedly twisty train track to begin with that somehow was being favored by the general public, who, by the way, here I am complaining at the beginning of the episode that many people are too busy being all, ooh, that's weird, Uh, but apparently when this was... Uh, airing each week, there were groups of people who got together, and I think the idea is you giggle together, you go, (gasps) together, you go, what the fuck, together, and man, that's what it's supposed to be, so, uh, hey, y'all who remember watching this, gathering at each other's houses to, you know, we gotta go to so-and-so's house, because they have the best TV, you know, all that, and you would watch Twin Peaks together, hey, let us know, man. Tell us the special thing, because I think one of the dangers about the immediacy of everyone's uh, access to all these things now is there's just almost too much solo viewing so look at me i'm already turning a dime in the same episode here i'm going oh no no maybe there should be more group viewings just no one pussy out and be all this is weird it's like hey hey, hey you know it's also weird every fucking moment of life except you weren't paying attention so yeah johnny come lately it is weird okay alex we have to be nice and we have to let everyone play all right i'm trying to learn I'm doing my best. Thank you. Well, Twin Peaks is suddenly canceled after its second season. Some people will say it had it coming because it did kind of lose its way and it got like too weird and too convoluted for anyone to sort of care or follow. Me, I'm down for anything Lynchian. I don't really care the twists and turns because the last episode of the syndicated television series from the 90s, is a banger, as the cool kids say. And it gets so twistedly weird and scary AF, which is also what the cool kids say, that it leaves us with so many questions and one interesting thing. Okay, well, actually, before I get into that interesting thing, let me just say... Then, in that year when it was canceled, which I believe is 1992, you have David Lynch saying, well, I'm going to do a movie now of Twin Peaks. And what's hilarious is everyone probably thought, oh, good, Hugh, because, you know, we were left, you know, with a lot of questions. Now he's probably going to do a wrap-up movie, and we can find out what the hell that last moment meant. No, I'm going to do a prequel, which is also sort of a sequel... But we really get to know Laura Palmer, which some of you didn't really want to watch. But some of you did want to watch. And some of you will understand that it is worth watching, but not now. Not for a long, long time. (laughs) So, uh, he did a film called Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. And firewalk with me is a very important phrase that is uh, from a poem that's in the show, which is always left to interpretation. And again, I'm not here to interpret Lynch. I'm just here to lay that title on you and let it play on your mind. But what's crazy is, yes, we do a movie that shows characters and events that take place before the events of the TV series Twin Peaks. And then we also get into the last... Basically, it's like... uh, what's that show? The Last 48? The First 48? Or, you know, just the the final hours, the final days of Laura Palmer's life. And yet, because she herself is uh, in touch with the dream world, we find out during her life, she has premonitions of things that are going to happen during the show, which had been filmed about two years before this movie, and then really crazy year still from this film, film, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, which, by the way, was v- maligned at the time. Fans and uh, hard-nosed critics alike were going, what the fuck is this? Because it it just left people with more questions. And uh, But I got to say, the story of Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, now for me, easily in my top of Twin Peaks, uh, excuse me, of uh, David Lynch's film, Body of Work. It is weird. It is scary. You know what it also is? One of the most honest portraits of the American high school girl who is caught up in a world of drugs and sex and abuse and scary... A breaking of trust and horrible environments that create damaged people. None of this shit is made up, folks. This is the story of so many people in every city, in every part of not just America, but the fucking world, man. So that is truly what Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is all about. Now, the little thing I was going to get to before, which I put a bookmark on. At the end of Twin Peaks, the series, I'm going to say a quote. I'm not going to say who says it to whom. But it is there. And it is scarily accurate. In the last episode of the 90s series, so we're in 1992, the character says, I'll see you. In 25 years. Now, that was sort of a interesting line. It left people kind of going, huh? Well, hmm. well, guess what happened 25 years later? Twin Peaks returned. 25 years later. And no one would have thought this possible. But it did, baby. And I gotta say. For me, it's the best that Twin Peaks has to offer, and it's already so fucking cool when you go through the first two seasons and the movie Fire Walk with Me. But you know what it is, by the way, Fire Walk with Me. For me, it is the bridge. By the way, if anyone, some people might think, well, if it's a prequel, maybe I should start with that. No, 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 no. Let me. If you are new to Twin Peaks, you've never done it before, but you want to do it. Listen here, my friends. Start with season one and make sure that you watch that pilot episode. Some releases are fishy and for some dumb reason they don't include the pilot. So just make sure you watch season one. Make sure you watch that first episode, the pilot episode with it. So pilot episode in through all of season one. Then you do all of season two. Then you do Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Because you'll then find that Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is a bridge between the 90s series and the new series. And it also sets a new tone for the new series. And I think you can look at Fire Walk With Me as the grand pilot to what will be the 18-episode experience of Twin Peaks The Return. Which is what I call it. Um, some people call it Twin Peaks Season 3, but nah, I call it Twin Peaks The Return. I think that indeed is how it is uh, often called. And oh my goodness, it's just, and by the way, we're, we're, so you have to evolve with the show. A lot of fans did not like Twin Peaks The Return because they wanted the 90s formula done again. Well, David Lynch ain't no fool. He might be weird as fuck, but he ain't no fool. (laughs) And he is working with a brand new consciousness. So if we're going to talk about Twin Peaks today, and if we're going to revisit characters, some of them ain't going to be the same. Some of them don't even know each other anymore. Who did you know intimately when you were 17, but now you're 51, and you don't really know who that person is anymore. You guys haven't talked to each other in probably 30 years. We're talking about that kind of reality. And because this is David Lynch, we go into, like, the grand lore of it. It, For, for like, (laughs) okay, some of you are Tolkien nerds, and I hope enough of you are to get this reference, but, like, Twin Peaks is Lord of the Rings. We're talking about the series. Twin Peaks is Lord of the Rings, and I would say fire walk with me into the Twin Peaks the Return, that's the Silmarillion. You just get so much more. You get to see all kinds of interesting directions with characters that you thought you knew well. And it's a great example, by the way, of when TV says, "Hey, David Lynch, You did some amazing shit in the 90s, which to this day we're amazed you even got away with. But you were nevertheless dealing with a lot of limits at the time. We're going to give you 18 straight hours to do whatever you want. Okay! And then you're in for terrifying beauty. Man, I could go on and on and on, but... I do believe we have reached the pinnacle, the zenith, the apex of this conversation. Thank you for following me thus far. That's my, what I got to say about uh Mr. David Lynch for now. I'm sure I'm going to talk about him again. Uh, as of now, Twin Peaks The Return is the last thing he did. Uh, but, you know, there was a time before that where we thought we had seen the last of him. And who knows what else he's got. And, man, what he's given us already are gifts upon gifts. And if he can get that strange and beautiful, I think we can too. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your ride.